Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Febo and Joel Frucci. In 2022, we've had a lot of happiness on a tennis court, but yesterday there was a lot of sadness and it wasn't just on court, but it was everybody watching off court and on their screens around the globe as tears were shed for one Martin Del Potro as he seemingly played his final match of tennis. We're going to talk about his career and how wonderful a player he was and how wonderful a person he is on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me as he always does to talk about the wonderful world of tennis is the one, the only, Joel Frucci. Oh, hey, Val. How you doing? I thought you were going to say something else there. (laughs) No, I was just, I was leading you in there. Um, uh, I I couldn't have given you much more of a hype introduction there. So that was, that was, that was pretty damn good. Yeah, no, look, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, good? Yeah, I've, uh, I've dried the eyes. I've gone through a few tissues this week, but uh, yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm dry now and uh, I'm ready to go. So so am I. And look, it was it was a very, very emotional day yesterday watching Juan Martin Del Potro in Buenos Aires. And um, we know how injury plagued his career has been. And we're going to chat to Rob Koenig about this as well. Wonderful tennis commentator. And we've, we've chatted to him many times before, but uh, looking forward to hearing his thoughts on um, on Delpo, considering he's commentated him around the world on so many occasions. But um, yeah, it, it was the, the match against Federico Dalbonis. He was, lost it 6-1, 6-3. And the second set, he kind of looked in the match a little bit more than the first. And he broke in the first game of the match and led one love. But yeah, then Dalbonis actually, Dalbonis just um, took the reins after that. So things looked good at the start. But then afterwards, you could clearly see that he was struggling out there. And it was, a, it was, it was an effort for him to get onto the court. The fact that he did it and the fact that he was able to complete the match um, despite the tears going into the final game, I, I think it was it was a testament to his character and it was a testament to who he is as a player. And just to rattle off his CV, despite all the injuries that he's had, Joel, he's a Grand Slam champion at the US Open in 2009, boasts a career high ranking of world number three. He is a Davis Cup champion, a two-time Olympic medalist and a Masters 1000 champion as well at Indian Wells in 2018. The Masters uh, title... And the U.S. Open title, both came against Roger Federer, in which the Masters won. He <laughs> saved two match points, and in the U.S. Open final of 2009, he he was two points away from losing that in the fourth set. So, an amazing, amazing career for one Martin Del Potro. Another Grand Slam final to boot, actually, at the 2018 U.S. Um, losing to Novak Djokovic there, but he just he had everything. He had the skills. That forehand was just. And I'm going to say it again. I know I've used it once already this year, but Beautiful. orgasmic, orgasmic. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and it was, it was. There is no other word for it because I can tell you someone would have got that excited when watching one Martin Del Potro <laughs> play. I am 100% sure of it. Are you speaking from I, experience, Well, uh, I can neither confirm or deny that. Let's keep going. Um, <laughs> Good answer. No, but, <laughs> but no, he was, he was just wonderful. And um, we'll talk about it with Rob a little bit more, but the, he had the ability to wipe anybody off the court and we've seen it on so many occasions he's beaten Novak in straight sets he boasts the second most amount of big three wins only behind Andy Murray who was part of the big four so it it is an astonishing career one that he can be so proud of and one that I think the tennis world can can really miss and be upset that they didn't really get to see the full Delpo 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he had, when we talk about his repertoire, he had everything, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, sadly, he also had all the injuries seemingly. And um, yeah, it's, it is a bit of a case of unful- unfulfilled pot- uh, potential, really. Geez, look at me stumbling over my words, but um, yeah, I, look, I hope he's not remembered as that because he did win a grand slam in what was the toughest era, which is, I mean, really still going on because Rafa's just won the Australian Open, the toughest era to win anything really in men's tennis. And he was able to win a US Open. And look, I hope he's remembered for that. I hope he's remembered for that forehand. Um, And I hope he's remembered for the shot making that he was able to produce um, at least before he was injured because he was was a, a raw talent and just had so much power. And I think... Honestly, more important than the skill set that Juan Martin had, Val, I hope he's remembered as just a fantastic person, really, because I think what we saw in that match against Federico Del Boni from Juan Martin Del Potro was just everything about him. He's just such a real character. And, you know, what I mean by, you know, a real character, he's got, he's got real emotions. Like, he feels like someone that's just like an average Joe that just happens to be good at tennis. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I mean, like, what do you think? That's why I love him. Well, I'm the same. I look, I love watching him play and that forehand, as I've said, just unbelievably good, but just the fact that he'd never give up on any point. And how many times did we see Delpo hit the, the tweener? It never looked conventional and tweeners don't really look conventional, but Delpo's in particular yeah. never looked conventional, but we've seen him hit some unbelievable ones. And then as you say, as a person, win or lose, Delpo was always going to hug you at the net. Yeah. And the one thing that I want in my media career is to meet Delpo and get a hug from him because they just look warm and fuzzy. And, <laughs> and he was just, even the matches where he lost one of the most heartbreaking matches that you'd see. And there was the semi against Novak at Wimbledon in 2013. There was one against Rafa in the quarterfinals of 2018 Wimbledon. He's lost some brutal ones in five setters. Roger at the 2009 French Open semifinal. Um, He was up two sets to one and it went to a four set tie break that day. And he would always hug his opponent, win or lose. And I think that's what I'll love about one Martin Del Potro because he was always the same and his, yeah. his uh, I guess the way he established sports established sportsmanship. There we go. I'm like you now. I can't get my words out. Um, the way that <laughs> he established. Thursday night. Yeah, that's true. Sportsmanship on court, whether it was with another player or whether it's that footage of him, you know, getting the tennis ball for the ball kid because she couldn't reach it in the trees or, you know, giving the ball kid a hug or giving someone in the crowd a racket or, or, or a wristband or a headband. That's the spirit that tennis should be played in. And that's what I reckon a lot of the young kids now should be looking at in terms of how to play the game and how to be yeah. on court with their on-court demeanor. He never caused problems he was just there. He played his tennis in a great spirit. And you saw th- there's been times where, you know, someone's done something ridiculously good or, um, you know, drop shot at him where he couldn't get there and he'll finally get to the ball and he'll pick it up and he'll just jokingly throw it. And we saw it yesterday <laughs> against Del Bonis. Yeah. We've seen it against <laughs> Roger. Um, and the players find it funny. And, that, and that's what tennis is missing. There's a lot of seriousness about a lot of players and Delpo had that element where he could switch on and off from being serious to being a bit of a jokester. And 
he showed his emotion and that's what we loved about him. And it's honestly, it's, it's really hard to say goodbye to someone that has done so much for the world of tennis and has played in some just brutally wonderful matches. And yeah, I, I really hope that we, um, we do see him again, whether that's in the media or just yeah. around tennis courts, because tennis should not be lost to one Martin Del Potro and one Martin Del Potro should not be lost to tennis. Yep. No, well said, mate. I'm yeah, not a whole lot more to add. I was just gonna was just gonna say the same thing. I, I really hope that he finds his way um, onto the media circuit. Certainly, at least in I guess the Spanish language side of things. Um, I, I think he'd be a, a tremendous asset. And uh, you know, looking at his on court demeanor, if he's anything like that in a, in a commentary box, he'll, he'll be he'll be an equally tremendous asset to any any media company that uh, that brings him on board so look i hope we see him and um you know even beyond that i mean look i i don't think it would be a bad move for any of the current players to have him in their box um mm-hmm. you know particularly the tall guys uh like one martin del potro was a tall guy right and it's not yeah. always easy for the tall guys to uh, you know, go out there and, and necessarily compete with a lot of the, um, I guess, medium-sized baseliners. But one of my team was able to do that. So, look, I don't think he'd be the worst um, pickup for any of those, especially those tall players to have. Um, you know, not only from the the tennis side of things, the shot-making side of things, but also, um, you know, in a mental sense, I think he'd, he'd really add a lot to, to players just, you know, as, as we've spoken about already, just how to, how to go about things on court, how to find that balance. Agreed. Um, it's yeah, and and fingers crossed because someone like a Matteo Berrettini has very similar characteristics to Del Potro in the way he it plays does, his yeah. game, and that forehand is as lethal. Maybe not as lethal because I don't think we've ever seen one as lethal as what Del Potro's is. Maybe Rafa, but um, yeah, lethal Delpo's, in different ways though. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, Delpo could hit literally anybody off the court with that forehand and from any position as well, which is. Just astonishing. And I think the one thing we can leave it on talking about that forehand is back at Wimbledon in 2018. And this footage has been circulating of him hitting just this ridiculously fast winner past Rafael Nadal in this, in the quarterfinals and Andy Murray couldn't, couldn't come up with the words to describe (laughs) how beautiful it was. So he laughed and he couldn't stop laughing. And he said, I'm sorry. It was just really funny because he just pulled it out of nowhere. And that was what Delpo could do. And that was why he was such a dangerous player. But um, unfortunately, the career does stop there in Buenos Aires, which is currently going on at the moment. And uh, we've got a lot of good players at this tournament, Joe. We've got Diego Schwartzman. We've got Casper Ruud making his first appearance since the Austra- or since the ATP Cup, because he didn't play the Australian Open with an injury. Uh, Ruud got through over Roberto Carballes Baena um, in straight sets. And it, it's an interesting tournament. Fernando Vadasco there didn't play the AO as well. Um, Lorenzo Sonigo, Diego Schwartzman, as I said. Um, Federico Delbonis, he's through. And Fabio Fonini also through. Benoit, our mate, he had three match points on his own <laughs> serve in the first round. And guess what? He lost um, to Dusan Lajevic. So that one is an interesting tournament. I feel as though Casper Ruud's definitely going to be the favourite. But what I've been really excited about is the tournament in Rotterdam at the moment, Joel. And it boasts yeah. a very, very heavy draw. Stefano Tsitsipas, 
Nicholas Basilashvili, he's out, lost to Mackenzie McDonald. Alex Demonor is into the quarterfinals, so good from an Aussie perspective. Hubert Hercash out, lost to Lorenzo Musetti last night. If you haven't seen that, go and watch the highlights because Oof. just the the feel and the touch and the just the aesthetically beautiful game that Musetti possesses. He is going to be a superstar of a tennis player, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. And I, like, I hope this is the year that he really finds that breakthrough valve like Yannick Sinner did. We, we sort of spoke about Musetti over the Australian Open, um, ran into Alex Dimonor in the, in the first round. Um, and we were, kind of, we were kind of talking about how last year he kind of he stalled a little bit. Hopefully he really finds that breakthrough um, in 2022. And I'm really looking forward to, and this might not necessarily happen, but um, he, he could bump into another very young star um, in uh, Yuri Lehechka if he gets over the top of uh, Botic van der Zanschlup in, uh, in, the, Very nice. in their match. So, uh, yeah, that would, that would be a mouth-watering matchup if, uh, if Yuri happens to win that. No disrespect to uh, the fight you Botic, but uh, I reckon it would just be a, a very, very uh, nice match when it comes to uh, the next gen of men's tennis. Yeah, I think so. And Lehechka, I watched him in AO qualifying against, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was Max, it was Max Purcell. Um, and yeah, he, he played a brilliant style of tennis. So um, he's definitely going to be one to watch. He boasted, he got uh, Denis mm. Shapovalov in the first yeah. round, four and four. Um, Problems and, for Shapo just quietly as well. Well, this is the thing. It seems as though he's finding kind of an excuse every time he's playing. And it's more like he was talking about the unevenness of the bounce of the court at the Australian Open. He was calling the umpires corrupt. I think yeah. Chapeau, there's, and we mentioned this with the, with the next gen last time, and we, we actually spoke about Chapeau The maturity, I think, is still at a very low level. And look, he's 22. He'll grow. He'll get more experience. It'll happen. But it's just worrying that every time he loses, he seems to find an excuse. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's got a long way to go still, mm. which is which is a pity. But look, I guess the benefit for for him is that he's young, and I really hope he can get it together because I think that's really the the only thing at this point holding him back. Because he's got the game. He just I just there's still a lot of question marks about the mental side of it and just his his ability just to hold it together when he's under pressure. Yep, and that and that that's the big thing for him because him and uh, Felix Auger Aliassime. I was what were we? talking about we're talking and rob uh mentions this so we pre-recorded rob about what Auger aliasim has done in yeah. atp finals he's zero and eight and hasn't won a set in any of his finals <laughs> he hasn't which yeah. is which is just unbelievable and denis shapovalov is only one title has only one title on the atp tour and you feel as though both of those guys have been in the top 10 to amass only one final between them or one title between them. And Shapovalov has made, I'm just checking now, has only made four career finals. So they're one from 12 altogether. It's disappointing. If you're a Canadian tennis fan, you're wanting a little bit more. So hopefully for Denis Shapovalov, he can come out and look, we can't beat around the bush. He's 22 years old. He's got a lot of time, and so does Felix Auger Aliassime. But mentally, they need to get something done soon in order to just make sure that they're going to be okay for the rest of their career. I just think they need that little platform. Yeah, for sure. Oh, actually, and it's interesting because clearly, clearly the two of them are very good friends, as you would expect. But 
I guess you would you would also the other side of that coin is you would expect that there would be maybe a little mini rivalry between them about sort of who can go further, who can win uh, more titles. You know, natural natural friend rivalry, I, I guess, um, for for lack of a better term. But you'd probably have to say that Felix is, has gone past Dennis. Uh, I just think at the moment he's just looking more more rounded. Um, Questions still, obviously, he dropped that two sets to love lead against Daniel Medvedev at the Australian Open. Questions still about whether he can go with the very best players over over the distance. But I think when you look at his game, I think he's got more things going for him. He looks calmer mentally. And I think, obviously, the serve is the big weapon. But, yeah, he, he, looks, he looks ahead of Chapeau at the moment. Yeah, big time. He does. And yeah, and well, speaking of Felix, he plays Andy Murray in a mouth-watering matchup this evening. Yeah. So it'll be this evening Melbourne time and um, in the afternoon Rotterdam time. So that's going to be one that I'm very excited about. Uh, Murray beat uh, last uh, last week's first-time titleist, Alexander Bublik, who beat Alexander Zverev in Montpellier, which is an amazing win for him. A phenomenal title for, for Bublik to win. It was his fifth final. He finally got the job done, made two, la- two finals last year, didn't get any title. So amazing for Alexander Bublik to finally win his first. Um, and then you've got Talon Griekspor, who's upset another big player at um, at yeah. Rotterdam. And he's the been Greek freak. Yeah, not a bad nickname. There's another one. Um, I keep forgetting the other one um, that we found out during the Australian Open. There was, oh, what was it? Um, it was for, oh, it was for Sinner. Oh, Johnny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> it, and that's that's all we're going to leave it at. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so yeah. I'm so glad we finally got there because we were talking about that and wanting to get it on the show, and it might go over a lot of people's heads. But um, the fact that you and I both know what it is is um, is quite funny. And tweet us at Breakpoint Pod if uh, if you do know. Um, but we've also got the tournament in Dallas, Jordan Thompson into another quarterfinal. It's his first in a long time. So from an Aussie perspective, they're amazing result, but I feel as though it's going to be someone like a John Isner that pinches that title or Taylor Fritz as well, because uh, Fritz has looked really, really good in the way that he's gone about his business so far in 2021. But it was another very interesting match between John Isner and Kevin Anderson. They played three tie breaks oh, and boy. Whose fault was it that we have now have a fifth set tiebreak at three of the four slams? Isner and Anderson. So they both had their big encounters in the past. And now, well, they've done it again in Dallas. Isner getting the job done there, 7-6 in the third. And Joel, we've got one final tournament going on in St. Petersburg. The first women's tournament since the Australian Open. And we've seen a lot of the big players go through. Elise Mertens into the quarters. Maria Sakari into the quarterfinals. Belinda Bencic into the quarterfinals. And Annette Conservate into the quarters as well. So... Uh, Petra Kvitova still to come, Elena Elena Rabakina still to come. So this one as well. And women's tennis is so exciting at the moment because we just know that there's that many players that could win any given title. Yeah, yeah. Ash Barty's not there. So we we really don't know. Um, But you're you're right, Val. It is a strong field. Annette Contevate, Belinda Bencic, uh, Yelena Ostapenko, Petra Kvitova. Uh, Lise Mertens, Maria Sakkari. It's uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting. And even um, just looking at some other 
sort of uh, floater type names that are, are there as well. Petra Martic, Danger. Oh, pardon me, she lost actually. Um, but uh, also um, Andrea Pekovic, haven't seen her name in uh, in quite a while. But um, yeah, look, it's an exciting field. And look, I'm, I'm really big on, on Maria Sakkari. She let me down a bit at uh, the AO. She ran into the uh, bulldozer, but uh, I think she'll get the job done here. Was it was it Paula was it Pedosa who beat her? I think it was. Or was it? No, oh no, no it was Jesse Pagula. I'll stand yeah, correct on that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So a bulldozer of a different kind because she hits the ball yeah. pretty hard. But yeah, Sakari, very good player, and um, that's very good actually, considering they own <laughs> two of the Buffalo sports teams. Um, but yeah, it's uh, look looking at this draw. You even as you mentioned, Pekovic, she had a really tough first up round at the Australian Open having to play Barbara Krejcikova. Um, yeah. But I feel as though Conservate, she left a lot out there at the Australian Open, as did uh, Belinda Bencic. Both of them went out pretty early. So I reckon it's probably going to come down to Sakari, Bencic or Conservate that win this title. Maybe even Ostapenko, depending on how she's feeling and where she's hitting the ball, but you just don't know. So I'm really excited. Buenos Aires as well on the men's side. I can't see Casper Rude losing. Um, we, we've got some great tennis. This is why February is such a good month because there is just so yes. much going on and so many tournaments. We've got Davis Cup coming up in the first weekend of March in Sydney and then all around the world to get into the World Group Finals. Um, so it is all the Davis Cup Finals. We can't call it the World Group Finals anymore. It's just so stupid. Um, mm. But we digress. Um Cannot wait for the rest of the month. And then March rolls around when we've got Indian Wells and Miami. So plenty still to talk about on the world of, about the world of tennis. There we go. Got my words out in the end. But next, (laughs) Rob Koenig, superstar commentator, is going to join us to chat about one Martin Del Potro. All of that to come on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you talking all things tennis. And Joel, in the last seg, we mentioned how much we're going to miss Juan Martin Del Potro and the pleasantness that he brought to tennis i guess because he was just so damn likable and he was so aesthetically pleasing to watch and um one man who has commentated him many a many on many a many occasion and was in at the atp put up an eight minute video of delpo forehands and this man featured front and center commentating them all he's the best commentator in the business rob koenig he does join us to chat about the great argentine and rob how are you going and thank you for joining us on the show Good, man. Um, sad day for me. You know, I'll, well, I'll tell you one thing as I've gotten older is I get unbelievably emotional when guys are retiring, but especially somebody in Delpo's shoes who I don't feel has been able to fulfill their true potential because of injury. You know, I'm not going to be sad when Roger retires. I won't be sad when Rafa retires and I won't be sad when Novak retires because I, I feel they've had a, a chance to fulfill their, their, their full potential. Uh, same with Andy, uh, same with a guy like Stan Wawrinka. I think he's had a good run at it. But man, um, I was thinking of those words from Coldplay, man. I'm a big music fan and lyrics always resonate in my head. <laughs> and it was so fitting that the song, Joel, was Fix You from Coldplay. I'm a huge right song. Coldplay fan. And it's, it's, it's that chorus when um, Chris Martin sings, uh, tears stream down your face when you lose something you can't replace. And that's how I feel with Delpo retiring, eh, boys? And yeah, ex- and 
I'll I, I tell you what, boys, just to jump in, Val, when I was, when I was watching that match, Rob, against Federico Del Boni, to borrow another Coldplay line, man, every teardrop was a waterfall when I was watching that. That was, oh, that was, that was so sad. I like, just to echo what you guys have said already. I love Del Boni. I loved watching him play. And um, like when he tied his headband on, on the net, Rob, I think that's when that's, that, that really got me. Oh no, that puts you over the edge, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And especially, especially the way you saw him suffer in that match. Um, and then, of course, the post-match interview where he's telling us he's been in pain for the last two years, constantly can't sleep, uh, trying to work through it. And he just wants to live a normal life, right? Uh, and just be pain-free. So, yeah, he's going to come out the other side. But, boy, um, you know, if there's one guy who could have robbed the, the big three or the big four of a number of major titles, especially on a hard court, it would have been him. And you're exactly right. You look at that. 2009 US Open he was only 21 when he won that Grand Slam title and beat Roger in five from two sets to one down and then um, two years later he's got the wrist injuries he comes back gets into the top 10 more wrist injuries comes back gets into the top 10 makes another Grand Slam final wins two Olympic medals uh, and wins a Masters 1000 and then the knee injuries so it's just it taught is he probably the player that's had the most success robbed of him by injuries that you've seen in your career as a player and a commentator? Yeah. If I think to this, if I think back to this generation, without a doubt, I mean, Monfils has had a lot of injuries, but never to the extent that Delpo's had. And especially given the, you know, the potential as, as you alluded to, I think it's one of the hardest things to do in our sport Ravel, is to win your first major at the first time of asking when you're in a final I mean, I think that's always a sign of greatness. Normally, it takes a couple of goes. You know, we've seen great players, guys who have won multiple majors that haven't been able to do it the first time of asking. And, of course, you spoke about the match against uh, Federer in the finals when he comes back from two sets to one down. Should have been two sets to love down. Federer served for the second set for a two sets to love lead. By the way, a result that everybody forgets, do you remember the score against Nadal in the semis? Two, two and two. That is a good old-fashioned hiding in anyone's books, right? Yeah. So not only to win your first major at the first time of asking, but to do it beating Rafa in the semis and Roger in the finals, right? I mean, where do you sign up for that? And that was the thing, is that gave him the belief that he can live with these guys in the biggest of matches. And that is so important early on in your career. And it's made me think about somebody like Felix Sojali-Assim, who has played in eight finals now and has lost all eight. Now, we all think he's destined for greatness to win Masters 1000s, to go on to win majors, but that mental scoring, even though he is still young, that worries me for him. But when you have the Delpo situation, it gives you an immense amount of belief to believe you can go on and win a few of these things. Just on that uh, slam win, Rob, how, I guess, how important is it that Delpo actually did convert that one? Because like we talk about uh, legacy now that he's retiring and obviously we've spoken a bit about sort of unfulfilled p- uh, potential because of those injuries. But, you know, I think of guys like um, like Thomas Burditch and David Ferrer, just to name a couple, who were in that really difficult era and couldn't come away with one. But um, I guess fortunately for Delpo, he was able to do that. That's a very good comparison, right? Um and I think even a better comparison with somebody like Burditch who did have the firepower but didn't have the belief. And I think that's why Burditch is perhaps a more pertinent 
comparison to make than Ferrer, who really didn't have the firepower to hurt the guys. Yeah. Um, so belief, belief is everything. You know, they say training is the cake, uh, to borrow a phrase that I use in commentary. But, you know, so often it's, it's the icing on the top. Sometimes that thin smear of frosting is what makes all the difference. And that is the belief, right? Uh, and to get that early on in your career is invaluable. You know, we saw Federer get it by beating Sampras early on at Wimbledon. We saw Rafa get it early on beating his, you know, his good friend Carlos Moya in, in Monte Carlo early days. Um, and I just think straight away, you believe you belong. You believe you can do it up here. And that is when the guys are so close, uh, when it comes to the biggest of matches, just knowing that you've been there and done it already, I think it gives you a massive psychological advantage. And we know, guys, the margins in the sport these days are paper thin. How often do we hear about guys saving match points in the second round and going on to win the tournament or going on to win no. matches? It's happening more and more now, Joel. More than I can ever remember. And, you know, again, it's just testimony to, and I think if you've got the belief, like Delpo had early on in his career, uh, it's immense. I can't emphasize it enough. You're exactly right. And I think what's a testament to his character is that he's boasted 17 big three wins in his career. And that's the second most out of anybody. Um, Andy Murray, the only one that's uh, that's bettered that than he was part of the big four. So it's a great career for one Martin Del Potro. Before we let you go, you've commentated on many of his encounters in the past. Which one stands out for you as Delpo's greatest performance or one that, you know, maybe he let slip away or one that he really pushed one of the big guns? Probably that semi-final against uh, Nadal at the US Open. At the time, I could not believe what a shellacking he gave him. And it, mm. you know what it also showed me? It showed me how good his backhand was. We forget that because, you know, pretty soon afterwards, he had to have the wrist surgery and the backhand for me was never the same shot. Uh, he went to the slice for a while. He had to stiffen it up because he was protecting the wrist. But that shot, man, his ability to hit the backhand cross-court hard into Nadal's forehand corner. And then he'd just wait for the cross-court reply from Rafa because he knew that was Rafa's default setting. And then he'd just bring his own forehand into play. And, you know, you talked about the beauty of his game, but it was the beautiful brutality of it. Mm. That was so... The forehand was a joke, man. It was a joke. You know, we talk about Roger and Rafa's forehands, but I don't know, man. I think Delpo's could be up there with uh, the best of, of all time. It certainly is in my top three. Um, he could hit any shot with it. He could lob short angle power. One of my favorite shots was the one, if, if a guy hit a backhand cross court, let's say it's a righty that he was playing and the ball was a little bit central, his ability to then take that forward and go inside in with it. It was incredible. He never went inside out, inside out, and then only inside in. The first time that ball came central, he would pump it almost semi-cross-court inside in. And it, he hits it so well that he'd have guys running out to their forehand side. Uh, and of course, they're going to defend cross-court. And that's another forehand for him where you just kill it wherever he wants. And, and the fact that he could volley so well, that's why he was able to beat these guys well. He, he was such a complete package. Yeah. And I mean, there's that great footage of him beating Marin Cilic. I think maybe it was a semi-finals, the Orange Bowl. If you fish around on YouTube, you'll see it there. And you can see how technique is cemented from a young age. I think that was the under 14 semis or finals of the Orange Bowl. And the forehand already was having a crack with the forehand there. The serve was decent. He had that 
the quiet determination, you know, for a big guy. And I mean, I think that was most clearly evident when he had the little run-in with Andy Murray at Rome one year. I was actually commentating that match. Yeah. And there was a little bit of spice between them where he had his niggle at Murray. Um, uh, and you could see that he was boiling uh, just to, to have more of a say, but he kept it in. Fergus Murphy got involved as a chair umpire. And other guys would have had more to say, but he had that mental control, emotional control, and he let it go. And uh, man, I'm sad for a guy who I think could have had at least five or six majors. And, you know, also hearing about some financial issues. His dad was his manager and made some poor investments with his money, eh, Joel? And by the sounds of things, he hasn't lost it all, but he certainly lost a big chunk of it by the sounds of things. And uh, it's never ideal. But, uh, you know, fingers crossed that um, he's certainly got enough stashed away that uh, he will live a comfortable life because if anybody deserves it, it's him, eh, boys? It's him. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yep. Yeah, I concur 100%, Rob. And it's been an absolute pleasure chatting about the career of one Martin Del Potro with you. We'll let you go. We know you've got a busy schedule and uh, we're looking forward to hearing your voice around the world for the rest of the year and years to come. Rob, Rob Koenig joins us on Breakpoint Podcast. Thank you very much and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, boys. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You are listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Ferbo and Joel Frucci talking you through the world of tennis. We've big thank, big thank you to Rob Koenig, uh, one of the best commentators in the world. And remember to tune in to his work in pretty much any major tournament. He will be there. He'll be doing either world feed commentary or uh, tennis TV commentary, Amazon Prime commentary, depending on where you're from. Um, he's an absolute superstar of the game off the court. And he was on the court as well. Very handy a very handy player from South Africa as well. But Joel, it is time for our Benoit of the week, our favorite segment, every show. I think this one's pretty obvious, but I'm going to throw to you. And if you're thinking what I'm thinking, I reckon it can only go to one person. <laughs> yeah, it's an obvious one this week, Val, and it's a happy Benoit. It's one Martin Del Potro. Congratulations, Del Potro. What a fabulous career. One Grand Slam. Unfortunately, couldn't get more, probably deserved it, but he can add a Benoit of the week to his mantelpiece. Yep. So congrats to Juan Martin. And hopefully, as we said earlier, it's not the last that we've seen of him in tennis. And fittingly, guess who was at his final match? Benoit. He was. That glorious beard, you could see it in the corner. And if you look at his Instagram story, the uh, the footage of the fans screaming uh, screaming Delpo's name and their chants, it was humming in Buenos Aires last yeah. night or yesterday. And it was so good to watch. So Delpo got the send-off he deserved by the people, I guess, not the one that he would have wanted on court. But uh, he's got the fitting send-off by us anyway because he's got the Benoit of the week. And that is a very, very illustrious one. Yeah, it really is. And um, just quietly, Val, can you imagine Benoit on the source in Buenos Aires? Oh, what a sight. Jeez. Uh, well, we've seen footage of him dancing at a media day. So that's when he's <laughs> not drunk. And then, geez, I would, what I would do to be a fly on the wall when Benoit goes out, it would be very interesting to see, uh, to see how he goes. He'd be, a, he'd be all over the, all over the place. Because he's got an abundance of energy anyways. So uh, yeah, Benoit Pair, absolutely phenomenal. Um, but 
Joel, it's been a pleasure talking tennis with you as it is every time we jump on. Um, it'll probably be another couple of weeks before we do the show. So um, with work travels and, and everything along those lines. So I'll catch yeah. you again very soon. But it has been a pleasure talking all things tennis as per usual. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And uh, yeah, this one's been a, a really, uh, really fun one, really emotional one. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's been it's been good and catch you soon. Yes, we definitely will. But remember, you can follow us on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, uh, Facebook, Breakpoint Pod 1, if you do the at thing, or you can just search Breakpoint Podcast, we're there. Um, and also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And as I said last time, you can follow Joel at Joel Fruch, F-R-U-C-H. Follow him because uh, he's just got the best content around. He's absolutely <laughs> flying. Absolutely. Look you at the smile. You flatter me. I do. I do. I like to flatter <laughs> you, though. I like to give you a big head. Um, it always helps. It, it brings you. It brings you back. Uh, it brings you back uh, bigger, bolder, stronger for the, each next episode. So you come in with a little bit more enthusiasm every time when I pump you up. But Joel, thank you very much. This has been Joel Frucci and Val Fevo chatting all things tennis. We'll catch you next time.